So Holy Spirit, you give life through your word, and so we pray that you would do that now, that you would inhabit my words, that you would inhabit, inhabit the words of Scripture and the things that we're going to think to, by the power of your word, make us come alive in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, it's good to see all of you again, back from summer and all of that. I always like this day. I, I miss you all over the summer, and it's always great to see so many faces that I don't see very much uh, over the last couple of months. So welcome back. Welcome to those of you who are watching online as well. It's great to have all of you here. I love this church. You know that. I love you. Uh, it's just, it's always great to be back with you. I remember once uh, when my wife and I went camping, and the important word in that sentence is once. I was doing college ministry, and we, we took a group of students with us, and I love, I love camping. I love getting far back into the backcountry, long, difficult trails, full pack, all of that. To me, that is heaven. My wife, not so much. Uh, she was having, and I have her permission to share this story, so that's important. She, she was having a different experience. She was hot. She was tired. Her pack felt heavy, which, all of which led to a number of interesting observations about our relationship and my character. <laughs> Finally, one of the students wanted to help, so he said, here, let me take some of the stuff out of your pack to make it lighter. But when he opened it up, I mean, there was like nothing in there. There was like Kleenex you know, chapstick. I mean, just, you know, light stuff. And so he didn't know what to do. He wanted to be polite. So he said, oh, I, I guess the problem is it's just so many little things. For the rest of the time, we had to stop like every, what seemed like to me every five minutes, what seemed to my wife like every 15 hours for her to rest and recover and cool down and revive, which would be the tie-in to this sermon series. We're starting a new sermon series called Revive. Because all of us, like my wife in that story, from time to time, need to be revived somewhere. You know, and the good thing about God is that the God revealed in Scripture, the God who comes to us in Jesus, is the God who puts energy back into tired things and brings dead things back to life. You won't find that kind of God in any other religion. If you're tired, if you're dead in other religions, that's just too bad. But the God revealed in Jesus brings dead things back to life. So I want to start with a question. What would you like to see revived. What in your life would you like to see revived? And it doesn't have to be something awful or dreadful. Maybe things are going great in your life right now. Things are awesome. But with Jesus, there's always more. Good marriages can become even better. Satisfaction in life can become even deeper and richer. Or maybe there are things that feel a little stale or feel a little tired, and you would like to see them revived. Maybe school. I mean, those of you who are high school or college are probably just starting, you may be already sick of it. Or your career, or marriage, or friendships feel flat, and you'd like to see them revived. Or maybe you're young, and, 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 and things don't need to be revived so much as, as you just want things to get started. You know, you, you feel like you're just waiting to graduate and get a job or get married or stuff like that. And it's not so much revival that you're looking for, but just plain old vival. You just <laughs> want stuff to start, right? Well, here at Bell Press, we say that our purpose, our mission is to participate with Jesus as he revives the east side and beyond. Now, that word revival, it has a lot of images, you know, camp, tent meetings and preachers and all that sort of stuff. But, but it's much broader than that. And it can mean a lot of things. Revive marriages, revive families, revive people in poverty so that they get out, revive people's faith in Jesus, revive a sense of joy and purpose in life. What would you like to see revived? 
The story that Terry just read is all about how God can revive even the worst of situations. So God shows the prophet Ezekiel in a vision this valley of dry bones, which are symbols of hopelessness and despair. But not only does God show the bones to Ezekiel, no, it goes further. It says that he says that God led me back and forth among them. In other words, you know, really get the picture here, Ezekiel. I want you to see these, okay? Bones that were very dry. These aren't just skeletons. They've been there too long. They're disjointed bones laying all over the place. They're not even just bones, right? They've they've been bleached dry. They've been dead so long. They're not only merely dead, they're really and sincerely dead. (laughs) I hate to quote the munchkin from Wizard of Oz because it's always good to quote munchkins. Now, the historical background on this chapter, it really matters. So here's what's in the background. For centuries, the Israelites had been disobeying God, doing things like neglecting the poor, worshiping idols, sacrificing their children, and burning them alive as sacrifices to these false gods. And God kept trying to get their attention through prophets saying, stop it, stop it. This isn't good. Stop it. They didn't listen. And so finally, in order to get their attention and turn them around, God allowed the Babylonians to come in, sack Jerusalem, burn the temple to the ground, and carted a bunch of Jews off into exile. That shocked the Israelites. See, they thought that because the temple was where God lived, that God would never let Jerusalem or the temple be destroyed. So they feel completely abandoned by God. They feel like he is just AWOL. And those bones symbolize their hopelessness, their despair. That's why when God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. In other words, God only knows. There's just not a lot of hope here. Not even Ezekiel has much hope. And if you've ever felt that way about a marriage, about a friendship, about a career, about some relationship, something in your life, you look at that and you go, these bones can't live. That's a good starting place for revival. Because revival starts when we run out of our steam when we get to the end of our rope and say, Jesus, you're our only option. Revival starts there. So then God says to Ezekiel, okay, Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. Basically, preach to these bones and say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Okay, that's weird. Right? Like, they're dry bones. Like, you know, what's the point of that? I mean, you know, what's that like to preach to a bunch of dead bones? Ask any preacher. He can tell you. Oh, oh, I don't. It was just low-hanging fruit. You had to say it, right? It's just like, that's a give me. All right. So here is the first thing we got to understand about God's revival. It doesn't make sense to us anyway. And if we want to experience God's revival in any part of our lives, we're going to have to do some things that don't make sense to us. So if you're trying to pump life back into your marriage or a friendship or career or whatever it is, and everything you are doing makes good, solid, American, middle-class sense, stop it. Cut it out. You're on the wrong track, right? Revival is something God does. And in the Bible, God doesn't always do and say what makes sense to us. He says to a bunch of Israelites who are trapped at the Red Sea, step into the ocean and it will divide in two. You step into the ocean, right? He says to a widow who has only one jar of flour to feed her whole family, oh, give it away to the prophet Elijah and I'll replenish your flour miraculously. Like crazy stuff, right? And Ezekiel's life is really crazy. At one point, God makes Ezekiel eat a scroll to symbolize our need to internalize and do God's word. At another point, God, says, God tells Ezekiel, in order to make a point, to lay on his side for a year in the public square wearing nothing but his underwear while staring at a clay model of Jerusalem. 
Not a preaching technique I'd recommend. You'll be happy to know. He gives Ezekiel some of the most inappropriate things in all of Scripture to say to people. There is one chapter in Ezekiel that is so dirty, I could not read it in church. I mean, and and no, I'm not going to tell you what it is because you just go home and read it. 23. (laughs) Now you're all going to go read it. I know you. Ezekiel is three gallons of crazy in a two-gallon bucket because revival is not something we do. God does it, and so it's bound to have something quirky, weird, unexpected, uncomfortable, and we Presbyterians love this, don't we? Not so much. But if we want to experience God's revival, we're going to have to do some things that don't make sense. Okay, so Ezekiel preaches to the bones, and they start to come together, and they form a skeleton, and then tendons, and then skin, and pretty soon they look like they're human again. And this just goes to show that revival happens in stages, not all at once. God doesn't just zap them, but it's a process of coming together. It happens in stages. It's a process, not all at once. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But even then, the bones aren't alive, right? They look alive, but they're not alive. Ezekiel says, I looked, but there was no breath in them. That is, they have the semblance of life, but not the fullness of life. And it's the same with us. Sometimes we do things that give us the semblance of life, but not the fullness of life that Jesus wants to give us. You know, sometimes if you're at a funeral or some, where there's maybe an open casket, you'll sometimes hear people say things like, oh, he looks just like he's sleeping. And I always think, no, he looks dead. And dead is dead, right? And, and, and sometimes I think we try to dress up our skeletons to make them look like they're alive, but there's no breath in them. And our culture offers us things that give us the semblance of life, but not the fullness of life that God wants to give us. You know, the accolades of others, that's an emotional boost. It gives us the semblance of life until our next deal or our next sermon or whatever doesn't work out, right? Self-help can give us the semblance of life, but not the fullness of life. Religion can give us rules that give us the semblance of life, but not the fullness of life that comes only from being connected to Jesus, which is why the next thing that happens in this story is the most important. God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the wind. Okay, that's even weirder than prophesying to dead bones. But you've got to understand the word for wind in Hebrew, ruach, means wind, spirit, and breath all at the same time. So then God, the wind blows, and God breathes his breath, his spirit, into these bones, into these bodies, and they come alive. Now, for a lot of us, that should trigger some echoes. That is an echo of the creation. Genesis 2, when God makes, makes Adam, it says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It's the same thing Jesus does with his disciples after the resurrection where it says that he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That is, being revived often involves two things, forming and filling. Forming and filling. God in this story forms the bodies, just like he does with Adam, and then he fills them with his spirit. In our own lives, God forms us in different ways. Scripture can form us. Worship can form us where we experience God. Our experiences in life form us, and they're helpful. But the only thing that will fully revive revive us is if God fills us with his Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're just pretending, trying to be revived on our own steam, and that gets exhausting. Last week, my family and I were talking about where would be a great place to live other than here. And, and so, we, you know, California, New York, all, and finally my son said, no, Hawaii, that would be a great place to live, right? And then my nine-year-old said, yeah, but then you have to have the spirit of aloha all the time. <laughs> and that's hard for you, Jackson. 
We can't just pretend to be spirit-filled. That's hard for us, and it gets exhausting. To really be revived, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing that empowers us. A man in this church was going through a rough patch in his marriage, and the way they got out of it, and he recommends this to everyone, is that every day he and his wife would hold hands and pray for their marriage to be healed, I think with their eyes open. And eventually, over time, their marriage was healed, and now they've got a great marriage. Now, I just got to be honest with you. Whenever he tells that story, it kind of gives me a little bit of the willies. Because I, it just sounds so awkward, so vulnerable. And maybe a lot of you feel that way. You know, maybe it's like, ooh, that just seems so difficult. Because I, I think praying with our spouses is very hard. You know why? I think it's because our spouses know us so well. I mean, when I'm praying with my wife, I, can, I just sometimes imagine her thinking, oh, don't be putting on that Jesus voice with me. <laughs> not, not, that may work with the congregation, but I know you, right? But that's part of why I think it works so well. For this couple, it made them vulnerable before God. Remember, point number one, sometimes for revival, you've got to do something crazy or weird or uncomfortable. And they weren't just praying fix it. They were saying, Jesus, yeah, we can go to counseling and that'll help, but Jesus, you're it. You're plan A. We don't have a plan B. It's you or it's nothing, Jesus. Right? Other things can be helpful. Other things can form us, but we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we then get filled with the Holy Spirit? Three steps. Okay? Three steps. First, step one, it's only through Jesus, so we need to ask him to fill us. That just makes sense, right? We can't do this on our own, so Jesus is going to have to do it. That just makes good first step. Step two, it's only through Jesus, so we need to ask him to fill us. Want to guess what step three is? Step three, it's only through Jesus, we need to ask him to fill us. You see, it's it's at this point in a sermon that I always want to give you practical how-to answers. Here's three steps. Let's go, raw team, right? And there's a place for that. And as we go through this sermon series in the next couple weeks, I will give practical suggestions for how we can experience God's revival. But for now, today, I want to resist the, the conditioning of our self-help, three-step, you know, how-to culture, which is hard. Like everything in me, you know, I, I know you have questions. I want to give you practical answers that really help you so that, you know, you come back and you keep coming to church and so that you like me, which is the ultimate point of preaching, right? <laughs> that was sarcastic, and by the way. You're going to leave here dissatisfied today because here's the truth. There's only one way to revive that marriage, only one way to revive that sense of purpose in you. Only one way to revive that joy. Only one way to revive that youth. Only one way to revive your family. Only one way to revive this culture. Whatever it is, Jesus has got to fill us, breathe his spirit into us. That's it. That's plan A and there's no plan B. Everything else is the form but not the filling. The semblance of life but not the fullness of life. Bones with skin and tendons but no breath inside. So we got to ask Jesus through prayer, through fasting, through community praying for us. And I know I want, you want, we all want those three steps. Tell me what to do, pastor, because it feels so good to have that list and check it off, and then we can rely on ourselves instead of Jesus, right? And yeah, there's some things we can do, and I'm, you know, to cooperate, and I'm going to give those in the weeks to come, but the most important is we got to ask Jesus. When I was writing this sermon this week, my 13-year-old daughter offered to help because she knows sermon writing is hard for me. So she read this passage, and this is the sermon she wrote. I'm going to read it to you. Don't worry, it's short. This is her sermon. She said, today we will be talking about bones. When you think of bones, you think of a dry, dusty cowboy place. 
There's no life in that. So then God asks, can these bones live? And the man basically says, I don't know. Doesn't look like it. So then God says, preach to the bones. And he does. And they come together and get skin. But wait, they're not done yet because lo and behold, he forgot to let them have breath. Maybe he was saving the best part until last or maybe he was thinking of Adam and Eve and recreating that. But mostly I think he was being symbolical. This is symbolical. The point of this sermon is that you aren't whole until Jesus has breathed his life into you. The end, offering time. (laughs) I think she nailed it. And and my fear in reading that to you is you're going to want her to preach from now on because that was short. Only Jesus can revive us. And this is the biggest impediment you and I face to experiencing revival. Church, let me just get real honest for a minute, okay? Let me just get real honest. You know I love you, and you know one of the great things about all of you and this church is you all are capable, capable, competent people, man. You have achieved things, degrees, accomplishments, all kinds of things, and you're good-looking too. I mean, that's just, you know, it's just great. And as a church, we've done great things. You know, we have been able to build street kid centers in Rwanda and the Jubilee Reach Center and all of that, right? And that is one of the great things about you and one of the great things about this church. It is also our biggest impediment to experiencing God's revival. We are too competent. And we lean on that competence instead of Jesus. But if we're going to have the revival that doesn't make sense, the revival that can only be explained by Jesus, the revival that can't be explained by a bunch of high-talent people pulling it off, it's got to be Jesus. Otherwise, we're just going to get our version of that. You know, and we, so we got to lean on him because only he can do the supernatural thing. And because, you know, as good as we are, let's be honest, as good as we are, none of us are perfect. We all mess up. We all make mistakes, right? None of us really nail it all the time. I have a friend who's a pastor, and he did a wedding this summer. And for the scripture, the couple had picked 1 John 4.18, which says, perfect love casts out fear. Great scripture for a wedding. Only when he got there, my friend discovered that the wedding program had left out the first John part. And so instead, they'd printed the Gospel of John 4.18, which is where Jesus says to the woman at the well, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. (laughs) Oops. We can't even print a wedding program sometimes on our own competence, let alone revive a marriage, a faith, a family, a community, a culture. So we will get to the three steps later. But to start, let's rely on Jesus. Make a commitment today that between now and Thanksgiving, for at least five days a week, at least five days a week, you will spend a few minutes making Jesus your only answer. Spend a few minutes asking Jesus first to show you what he wants revived. Okay? You know, in this story, God shows Ezekiel which bones to revive. Sometimes we want something revived that is better left dead. So make Jesus, ask Jesus to show you what he wants revived and then ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit and do his work of revival inside of you. If it's a marriage that needs revived, yeah, go to counseling. That can help. But make Jesus your ultimate answer. You know, try the holding hands and praying everyday thing. Yes, it's awkward, it's hard, it's just so ooh, and it works because it makes Jesus the only answer. If it's boredom you face, say, Jesus, revive a sense of adventure in me. And show me today, today, how I can be part of your rescue mission to this world. You pray that every day, I guarantee you every day becomes an adventure. I have a friend who prays that every day. One day he was in a McDonald's. And there was this man there with three little kids trying to order and manage the three little kids. And my friend just got this nudge to go over to the guy and say, you're a good dad. So he did. Went up to the guy and said, God wants you to know that you're a really good dad. 
The guy started to cry, said, man, I feel like I'm a total failure. It feels like God has abandoned you. If God told you to say that, that changes a whole lot of things for me. Boom, right there in McDonald's. An adventure, changing a life. Because he was praying, Jesus, help me see the adventure you have for me today. And yeah, that's awkward to go say something like that to a stranger, but back to point one, sometimes we've got to do something that doesn't make sense. If you're young and you're waiting for things to get going, for that Bible to start happening, right? Make Jesus your only answer. Say, Jesus, you and you alone can help me have joy right now. Not someday when I, not if I only could, not out there when, but right now. You know, I think one of the ironies of life is we spend our teens and our 20s and our 30s thinking, if only I were married, if only I were older, if only I had a career or whatever, and then we spend the rest of our lives looking back wishing we had the freedom of our 20s and 30s kind of a bummer and a bad way to live life, don't you think? I remember when our kids were small and we were into diapers and sippy cups and all that, people would always say, oh, enjoy these years. They go so fast. Not fast enough, they don't. No, 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 they don't, right? But you know what I do now? My kids are 13, 11, and 9. How come they're so big? Oh, why when they're babies, right? Jesus, Jesus filling us can help us have joy right now. Not back then, if only the good old days, not someday if, right now. If it's a health thing that you want revived, yes, go to the doctors, but put your faith in Jesus. The doctor can help cure you, but only Jesus can heal you. And there is a difference. Because sometimes even when the disease doesn't get cured, we are emotionally, spiritually, and socially healed. I had a friend who, she was a chaplain in a hospital, and there was this one man who was dying of cancer, and he was, he'd been CEO of a big company, super successful, but just kind of scorched earth policy relationally. He was really short-tempered with his wife, with his kids, neglected them, ignored them all the time. Just, you know, he, so he was dying with a lot of trashed relationships. Well, one day my friend read to him the Bible story of the workers in the vineyard where the, the workers that come at the end of the day get paid the same amount of money as the workers who came at the beginning of the day and worked all day. So she read this story to him, and when she got done, he said, that's not fair. The workers that came at the end got the same as the people who worked all day. That's not, what a stupid story. And she said, no, it is not fair. And you know what that means? And he thought about it for a minute, and then he said, it means it's never too late. And she said, it's never too late for the grace of Jesus. So they talked some more. Next day, he called in his family. He asked their forgiveness for ignoring them. He talked about his regret that he wasn't more present for them. He told them how much he loved them, and they had a great conversation and were reconciled. Then he did the same thing with his friends. He spent the last few weeks of his life with his friends and with his family, laughing together, reminiscing, telling them how much he loved them. And then after a couple of weeks of that, he died. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. And his family was revived, and his marriage was revived, and he was revived as he experienced the grace of Jesus. But the answer was not three steps, how to, here's what you do. It was simply to experience the filling of Jesus' grace and share it with others. So this week, make Jesus your first, your second, your third, your only step. Because Jesus can revive us even in the most hopeless, dry bone valleys of our life. Because what Ezekiel shows, what the resurrection of Jesus shows, is that God does his best work in graveyards. 
and that Jesus and Jesus alone has the power to turn dry bone people whose spiritual life has dried up and wishbone people who are just trying to get a bigger piece of the American wishbone but getting tired doing it and jawbone people who just talk and talk and talk and fingerbone people who point at others and argue and wreck relationships in the process and tailbone people who feel like they're just sitting on their tails in cubicles bored and wanting a bigger adventure and chestbone people who feel like they have a broken heart into backbone people who have courage and power and hope and joy and meaning and purpose and life pressed down, heaped up and overflowing the measure. Church, can these dry bones live? Give them to Jesus and let's find out. So Jesus, you and you alone can bring revival and so we turn to you, Lord, and we say revive us. Your plan A, we don't have a plan B. Lord, help us this week to lean on you. Help us this week to turn only to you. Help us to see the ways you are moving And we'll be grateful. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.